This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 171. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And today I have with me on this episode, Jacob Paulson. Hello, everyone. Hello, Jacob. Hi, Riley. How are you? I'm okay, thanks. How are you? <laughs> I, I, I think I'm mostly recovered from our excursion last weekend. Uh, man. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, indeed. Uh, wasn't that an interesting episode? The two of us in the truck covering hundreds of miles and recording remotely. Yeah, her moms probably would say that was a bad idea, but it worked out. Well, it worked out because we were in the middle of nowhere on a straight stretch of highway with nothing better to do. We would have been talking anyway. Yes, true. So we might as well talk about stuff and record it. Yeah, <laughs> and you should do that more often. The road trip or the talking about stuff? Recording our conversations and pretending that's valuable content. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Well, let's record this conversation starting now. I'm just kidding. All right. So today's episode, first of all, is brought to you by Glock eTrainer, a newly launched product from concealedcarry.com. It brings you a simple and inexpensive tool to elevate your dry fire training. No tools required. Just slip on the Glock Easy Trainer and you can run drills, work on trigger manipulation, and much more without having to rack the slide to reset the trigger after each trigger press. Let me tell you, this is a cool little, dare I say, gadget. Mm. It is a gadget, but it is freaking awesome. So if you're interested in elevating your dry fire tra- training, go to GlockETrainer.com. That's G-L-O-C-K-E as in easy, T-R-A-I-N-E-R.com, GlockETrainer.com. And <clears throat> we've got a training tip for you, being that this is our weekly news episode of the podcast and today's training tip actually doesn't involve a pistol i decided to go off the rails here jacob (laughs) i'm just kidding uh no but uh, you know i was thinking about this actually um because recently i actually watched a little facebook live video with our friend mike seeklander and is a good little little training tidbit, and folks, if you've you know never had a chance to check him out, go go check out Mike Seeklander in the American Warriors, Warrior Society. Uh, but he was talking about this very thing, and, and the way he explained, it, I was like, oh, that's the best I've ever ha- heard that explained. I, I do I I do the same thing as what he was talking about, but it was just explained so much better <laughs> than I could have explained. So, uh, and and basically, he was talking about mounting the carbine you know, like an AR-15 to your shoulder and you're getting that cheek weld and everything, right? And Jacob, I know you're familiar with this concept, but one thing we often talk about, particularly with using a carbine like this, is tucking the uh, strong side or, you know, whichever hand is holding the pistol grip of the carbine, tucking that elbow down in and tight to the side. Because the traditional way that we all learn to shoot a rifle or a shotgun or whatever is we generally have that elbow sort of out like a chicken wing. Um, and so it's it's a little bit unnatural and unusual and it takes a little getting used to for some shooters to tuck that elbow down and in. 
and you know, probably don't, most shooters don't even understand. Like I, I might tell a shooter, Hey, do this. And I'm sure there's been times I've told them to do that and they probably don't fully understand why I know I've tried to explain it, but, uh, and there's various reasons why, but, but Mike had a really great point today, uh, in his little Facebook live segment. So Jacob, I'm curious, uh, your thoughts on tucking the elbow in before I, you know, get to the good juicy bits. Oh, right. Yeah. So let's burn me out and then you can, then you can give them the good stuff. That's how I operate. So a, cu- a couple thoughts here. You know, when you shoot a, a hunting rifle, a bolt action rifle, that's a very powerful weapon and it has a lot of recoil. And so a lot about the way you hold that hunting rifle is, is oriented around absorbing that recoil and, and maintaining control of the gun so you don't lose it. Uh, a carbine, on the other hand, an AR platform rifle does not have that kind of power. Uh, it's, it's just It just doesn't. <laughs> and, so, and so it's a lot less about... Uh, how to manage the recoil, and a lot more about how to create a solid, uh, you know, shooting platform that's natural and that's easy to get sight picture fast um, with, without doing anything weird with your body. So it's not, you know, when we talk about tucking that elbow in, there is something to be said about, you know, kind of the obvious stuff like, well, I don't want to run my elbow into something when I'm moving around. But as you mentioned, it's really more oriented to how do I get a good cheek weld and how do I put you know, bring the, the sights of that gun naturally into my point of vision without having to, you know, do something awkward that, that isn't going to ever create decent muscle memory. So, yeah, you touched on something there that I do think is a valid point for carbine use, defensive carbine use in particular. I mean, if we're using an AR-15 or any carbine for that matter, you know, uh, uh, and by carbine, we mean generally a shorter barreled rifle uh, that is, uh, you know, usually it's a defensive purpose, right? Uh, I don't try to go hunting necessarily with a carbine. I mean, you you could, but it's not ideal. You know, a hunting rifle is a little bit more practical and appropriate for, you know, major hunting. Uh, but so my, my carbines, my, my, my ARs are for defensive use. And so, you know, imagine yourself trying to navigate through your home or through a hallway of some sort. And like you said, you've got that elbow just sort of out there swinging to the side and, you know, you're more likely to bump into things and get caught on things. And, and so we're trying to keep ourselves a nice, small, compact package, smaller target to hit and uh, maintaining really good control of that weapon. Here's the, here's a big reason though. And this is what I'm getting at, which I just think is absolutely huge is that when we tuck that elbow in to the side, it think about if you put your hand, Jacob, right now in this in that kind of soft pocket area of your shoulder. Uh, if you if you put your sport hand in there and just kind of feel that, and then feel what happens when you bring your elbow down to the side of your body, it sort of like what it does is it really it, it sort of uh, what's the word? And see, this is why Seeklander explained it so much better. But it sort of locks everything into place. There you go. That's what I was trying to, I think, get at. Uh, and you can f- kind of feel that as you hold there with your hand and then swing that elbow down. Uh, you kind of feel some muscles and things contract and, and and stuff. And it just sort of locks the buttstock of that AR in the shoulder pocket, which then really brings it in nice, close, and tight as you're making that cheek weld. Now it's just really locked in place. You have greater control and controllability of that weapon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which makes sense. And I think I love how you described it, you know, kind of stick your elbow out there, you know, feel, feel that soft part of, of, of your shoulder right there and then drop that in and feel how that changes. I, that's a great way to think of it. Yep. So there's your training tip for today. I think that's a, a, a good one. It's something, like I said, I was sort of prompted to, to talk about today and I just really like it. I dig it. 
Today's episode is also brought to you, by the way, uh, by some additional sponsors. And those sponsors are, and we thank them, Guardian Nation and Sports Afield. And we hope that you will support all our sponsors, which in turn support us and make this podcast possible. And so now we get to today's news stories. And uh, I am... I'm sad, you know, with where we have to start today, Jacob. I know you are as well. Uh, this is weighing on all of our minds, including, I'm sure, most of our, uh, probably all of our listeners as well, unless they've just been totally disconnected from the world and haven't heard. But in case you didn't hear, on Sunday morning, and I happened to be at church myself when I saw the very first um, news updates uh, pop up on my phone about this uh, shooting in Sutherland. Uh, Springs, Texas, where a crazy gunman went in there and shot up the place and 26 people uh, were killed and 20 others injured. I believe 10 of those uh, critically still in the hospital. I believe there's 15 that are approximately 15 that are still in the hospital, but 10 of those are critical still. Um, a great tragedy. Yeah, it, it is a tragedy in uh, in so many respects. I mean, it was interesting because we got a lot of real quick, fast uh, video interviews. You know, the local news there was just all over talking to people in the town. And that doesn't always happen you know, so quickly with these kinds of incidents. But uh, it was moving to hear from uh, neighbors and people who lived across the street from this church and, and those kinds of people because this is such a small community. I mean, when you're talking about a population of 600 people, everyone really does know everyone. And everyone knows someone in that church who just died. Uh, it, it's it's really going to have a strong effect on every single citizen of that community. They'll never ever get over this, and uh, it, it was crushing. It was really demoralizing. It was it was emotional to to kind of wade through this content and and you know really dive in and see what took place. Of course, it's emotional, especially you know I, I lead a congregation in our church here locally. And like I said, I'm, I'm sitting there at, at our own church worship services, and I see this news report come in. And as is the case with most uh, shootings like this, at first there's just, there's just no detail. But the very first report I saw was, uh, you know, at least, I think the very first thing that popped up was at least 20 dead and at least 20 others wounded. And, of course, that number was revised. And I'm sitting there thinking this is at a church. And I'm at church and I'm responsible for these people in my congregation. And that's, that is, uh, it is demoralizing and it is scary. And you're sitting there thinking, golly, you know, what if this was our church? Would we have been ready? Would we, would we have been able to, to, to do something about this or to respond to the a aftermath? And I, to be honest, to, to make a truthful, honest evaluation, uh, although we have made some efforts uh, to sort of have a, a sense of security, you know, to have a security team and things like that uh, in our church, in our building, uh, you know, the true evaluation of things is that, no, we're not prepared. We're not ready. Uh, of course, I don't know if you can ever be truly 100% prepared or ready, because you don't always know exactly what's going to happen, right? But but still, I mean, I, I recognize that, no, we're far from where we need to be or ought to be. And uh, that that's a, that's a scary thought. Of course, so incidents like this cause us to, to go down that path and to think through those things. And I'm definitely... Uh, I mean, definitely thinking about things in a different way than I have before, even though this isn't the first time this has happened. And of course, we're barely a month removed from 
this tragic Las Vegas massacre that occurred, you know, really just five weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let me let me kind of give the story for those of you who have uh, sure. you know been hiding under a rock or haven't heard all the details. What I know so far, uh, and maybe I've missed a detail here or there, but what I know so far is that uh, our perpetrator was formerly in the Air Force, dishonorably discharged after being court-martialed for abusing uh, his his wife. And he, you know, now, hold on there, hold on. Uh, sorry, just because while you're going through it, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand it back to you. Uh, I will add some additional details as I have, you know, researched them or heard them. Uh, what he he physically abused uh, his wife and child, twelve month old child at the time. Uh, he, uh, you know, really bad hurt up good. But one thing I I heard on uh, Fox News just this morning is that he struck his twelve month old son so severely that it fractured his skull. So to put that in context, uh, that this was a very bad, very violent man with some serious problems. And yes, he was court-martialed. And yes, he was discharged from from the Air Force dishonorably. Uh, so I, I get those details out so that it, the context is very clear. I mean, it, this wasn't just a, a misunderstanding or he, you know, pushed, uh, you know, his, his wife around. And, I mean, which is still bad and it is still worthy of domestic violence charges. But he was a very violent man. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's important context uh, because it's, you know, who are the kind of people that are capable of doing these kinds of horrible things? So – he also uh, noteworthy that the church, you know, where the incident took place, is a church where he has family members that regularly attend there. And before the incident took place, apparently he was texting back and forth some rather unkind uh, things with his mother. Though mother-in-law, mother-in-law, thank you. But but the mother-in-law and family was not in attendance at the time. They actually were not there. I don't know why. But, uh, you know, it's likely or possible that maybe he assumed or believed that they would be there when he walked into that church shooting. Yeah. Uh, now, his, this is his estranged or ex-wife uh, who, you know, I believe he was the same individual that he was charged with uh, uh, domestic violence on. His mother-in-law, yes, it, I believe typically does attend the church there. Interestingly enough, Jacob, one of the victims of the shooting was his grandmother-in-law. Yeah, yeah. So, so he, we're, you know, let's talk a little bit about the gun. He goes into the church. He is firing a Ruger AR platform rifle that he had purchased from a gun store in San Antonio. When he bought the gun, apparently he listed his address as Colorado Springs, Colorado which may or may not have been true at the time, but he did not mention his past jail time or criminal record, which obviously would, uh, had it been, you know, had he, he been truthful or honest in that application, he probably would not have passed the background check or received the firearm. And should, you know, we have been diligent in our record keeping as far as uh, things that go into the next system, he, he wouldn't have passed the background check anyway. So that's a whole separate, right. separate conversation. So, well, and it just came out yesterday that the, the United States Air Force, uh, has admitted that there was a failing somewhere in, on their part, uh, somewhere within their branch of, of the military that failed to get into the NCIC system, his criminal record. Yeah. And that is a great failing. The, and the NRA is going to run with that, by the way. The NRA is already up in arms and has been for years about the failure to get the data into the system to stop the criminals from buying the guns to begin with. And they are going to run with that. <laughs> they're they're, they're going to get on their horse on this one. So yeah, goes in, shoots lots of people. Um, and it, what's not, I think, still a little bit ambiguous is that he was engaged. 
with a armed citizen. That armed citizen, from from the best I can gather, and I think that they're being a little bit, sh- you know, f- not forthcoming with the details, but it would appear that the, the f- citizen was not in the church at the time, but was nearby, heard the gunfire, retrieved his own carbine rifle, and went to confront confront the shooter. And I think that probably met the shooter, you know, outside the church. And uh, when when the shooter was engaged by the armed citizen, he decided to flee. And so he got into a car and drove off, at which time the armed citizen uh, effectively flagged down another, you know, good Samaritan who happened to be in his car at the intersection, jumped into that person's car and said, let's go chase that guy. And together, the two of them gave chase and were on the phone with dispatch uh, reporting what was going on. And eventually, after you know some pretty high speeds, the bad guy uh, you know, lost control of his car, went off the road, and the good Samaritans, um, you know, pulled him behind him and effectively held him at gunpoint, gunpoint until law enforcement arrived. And when they did arrive, uh, when they did arrive, he was he was dead um, from from gunshots and still a little bit of lack of clarity. Though I think we're going to get some some real detail here soon, but a little bit of lack of clarity yeah. if he died from gunshots. Um, from the armed citizen or self-inflicted or both? Well, there was actually a a press release uh, last night uh, from the local sheriff's office that gave actually some pretty clear uh, information on at least part of that. And he did say that that, uh, the suspect was deceased. Uh, Two wounds that the suspect had were due to the uh, Good Samaritan shooter. And the third wound was uh, appeared to be self-inflicted, uh, you know, just sort of like he finished off the job himself. He committed suicide, essentially, is what was implied. Uh, on during the the vehicle chase, uh, it's been reported that the suspect uh, called his father on the phone, told him that he had been shot and that he didn't think he was going to make it. That was all the details that came out of that, as far as that uh, phone conversation there. Um, about these two good Samaritans, I mean, and these guys truly are heroes. Uh, one became a hero and got uh, sworn in, if you will. And, you know, he got drug into it uh, pretty quickly and probably without fully realizing what all he was getting into. But uh, and that was the driver of a, of a pickup, Johnny Langendorf, uh, who was uh, he had stopped at the intersection there next to the church. Uh, kind of, you know, he'd witnessed some of what had taken place, uh, and uh, then he provided the, the wheels for the shoeless. Uh, neighbor uh, that ha- had exchanged shots with uh, the suspect uh, using, I might add, a his own uh, AR-15 rifle. And uh, so the other Good Samaritan, Stephen Williford, Williford, uh, Williford, that's W-I-L-L-E-F-O-R-D. Uh, he lives nearby, heard the shooting. Uh, actually, it was his daughter that initially alerted him to it. Oh, this is really fascinating. And he said he thought from where he, they live about a, a block away from the church, he he thought it sounded like some tapping on his window. The gunshots. Now, keep in mind, some of the you know a lot of these gunshots are likely fired inside the church, uh, and and then he's about a block away, and he's inside his home at the time, relaxing in his room, and then he hears you know these you know kind of tat 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 tat, and he didn't think too much of it at the time, but his daughter came and grabbed him and said, "I think there's something going on out there," at which time he he listened a little close more closely. Uh, uh, I think took a look through the kitchen window, realized there was something going on. This is really interesting. And this is all captured in an interview, by the way, which I've included a link to in the show notes, today's show notes, uh, a YouTube video 
that he did with Steven Crowder, anybody familiar with the Louder with Crowder program on YouTube uh, or on the Blaze. Um, and he tells a lot of these details, and, and I quickly listened to that interview. He had to run at that point to a safe to retrieve his AR. He then also had to grab loose rounds in a magazine and load them quickly into the magazine. He had no idea how many rounds he had grabbed and how many he had loaded into the magazine. He loads up the rifle. He takes off running for the church. He doesn't have any shoes on at the time at home while he's relaxing. He doesn't take, he doesn't take the time to put shoes on. He just takes off. Has no idea how many rounds he has in his rifle. He gets there. He uh, takes cover behind a neighbor's vehicle uh, and it begins exchanging shots with the suspect who at that point was outside of the church. And he when he first saw him, he was coming around the front of the suspect was coming around the front of the suspect's vehicle. And at that time he said that he didn't see an AR-15 rifle. He saw uh, a pistol in the hand of the suspect. Uh, he exchanged shots and, and described shooting him between his body armor. It was clear he said he was wearing body armor and he shot him kind of, it sounded like kind of in the side and, and sort of like, towards up towards the uh, armpit area he recognized the body armor knew that uh, that that was a vulnerable uh, uh, location on the body and knew that he had hit him uh, the suspect jumped into the vehicle took off uh, while firing out of the uh, window of the vehicle and the and the good Samaritan Stephen Williford uh, continued shooting at him as he took off it's at that point he sees uh, Johnny Lingendorf at the intersection in his truck and goes over and tells him what had happened and jumps in and they, they begin pursuing in the interview, by the way, this was, I thought this was really interesting. Jacob, he's, he's riding in the truck and they're chasing this guy down and he, he takes, he removes his magazine from his AR and sees that he has one round left in the magazine. He knows then he's got one round in the chamber. That's all he's got. Like that's all he's got two rounds left. And, you know, heaven knows what they're going to find when, when they catch up with this guy. And, you know, unfortunately, he didn't need any more rounds. But uh, I, I give you a lot of detail here because I think it's all fascinating and also very relevant. Uh, and it comes firsthand d- directly from this man's mouth. Yeah, I mean, some, and maybe it's too early to start, you know, talking about some of the takeaways or learnings here. But, Man, I'm, I'm going to go double check, make sure I got some loaded mags in my safe. I know I do. I have at least one loaded. But I certainly do not want to be loading up a mag while I'm running off to an incident. Um, so, I mean, right. just a, a quick, easy thought, you know, for any of you who are listening to this, like, you know, is that is that gun prepped? Whether it be your, your, your AR or your handguns or whatever it is, you do not want to be opening a safe that takes a long time to opening to open, grabbing a gun, grabbing some loose rounds, loading a mag, shoving it in. That that's a recipe for disaster, and I mean, you know, again, this 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 individual is a hero. Uh, he ran toward gunfire, so that that's all it takes in my book. Uh, but you know, those are some good some good lessons to to take away. Right, absolutely. I mean, yes, we. I don't want to take anything away from Stephen Williford or Johnny Lingendorf. Uh, in fact, I think what they did uh, was excellent. I think even tactically was done very well minus, I mean, I think Mr. Williford at, at this time, you know, if you asked him now, I'll, I'll bet you he would say, you know, that he wished he had had magazines loaded, ready to go. Right. Um, but, but 
you know, not to criticize him, you know, in that regard or armchair quarterback that, you know, the death out of this thing. It's not, that's not meant to be like that at all. But other than like, this is such a, a perfect real life example and story. And it's, 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 I mean, it, it happened and it's real and it's fresh. Uh, as far as the, the need to be ready and, and having things staged and ready to go, uh, I think is really important. Uh, we see this true in a lot of inc- incidents, um, but uh, you know th- this. When you look at his tactics, okay, because he talks about when he ran over there, he took cover behind a, a neighbor's truck. All right, so he was using he was using cover effectively. He was able to get effective hits on the suspect, and the suspect wasn't able to hit him. Uh, when they arrived at the location where the suspect crashed his vehicle into a borrow ditch. Uh, he had, uh, Mr. Langendorf, uh, park the truck in such a way and then told him, Johnny Langendorf, he, he, uh, Stephen told Johnny to get down in the vehicle. He's like, you don't have anything. You don't have any weapons on you. Like you're, you're kind of vulnerable. Get down. Okay. And then he got out and positioned himself in such a way that he was, uh, keeping the front of the vehicle, the engine block like that between him and the suspect and took cover, uh, over top of the hood of the vehicle. And then, you know, yelled at, at the suspect to get out, get out, uh, you know, show me your hands sort of thing. Uh, and, and nothing happened. There was no movement in the vehicle, which, of course, they later found out was due to uh, the suspect already having been deceased. Uh, but, I mean, tactically, he did a lot of things very well. And it's just so appropriate considering the fact we just got done filming a, a vehicle fighting vehicle tactics course uh, where we we talk about a lot of these same uh, concepts in that course. And so really an amazing story of bravery and courage and heroism. Uh, it is uh, an amazing uh, story in that regard. Other, I mean, obviously we don't want to forget the victims here and everything that this community is going through where quite literally everyone uh, prob- in that community probably knows someone that is now dead and probably multiple people that are no longer with them uh, because they were in that church. And literally, by the way, 60 pe- people attending that church and um, th- there's almost nobody that escaped that was not wounded uh, physically. And of course, everyone that was in there, I'm sure, is wounded emotionally and mentally. So uh, a, a tragic event. I mean, literally an entire congregation of a church wiped out. But I'd like to believe that lives were saved you know, by, by these heroes. I mean, we don't know where the shooter was going next. It's really easy to point and say, well, you know, he got there too late uh, to, to save any lives. But you know, this guy goes into a church, shoots every single person in there, and the probably the people he came to target weren't even there. Where do you think he was going next? He wasn't headed to the yeah. police station to turn himself in. Uh, it was it was going to get more bloody before it was over. And so lives were were almost certainly saved. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, it is heroic and it is tragic at the same time. And, you know, I, I can already hear, you know, both sides. I've already getting the news stories, right? People shouting out about, hey, yay, good guy with a gun. Stop the bad guy with a gun. And how much better it would have been if someone in the church had been armed. And then I've also seen the headlines from the other side that, you know, are already already on it, you know, talking about how this is proof that good guys with a gun can actually stop the bad things from happening even when they try. And so it's, you know, we're already out. We're, we're, you know, the, the wolves and the lions are already in the field. They're already battling over this thing. And it, it's just tragic. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. You know, I've been thinking a lot in the last couple of days, Jacob, uh, enough with this good guy with a gun uh, argument or rhetoric. Uh, I would rather hear this phrase bandied about, and that would be a trained good guy with a gun may be able to stop a bad guy with a gun because that's a more accurate statement. Um, chances are there was someone in that church that was armed, maybe multiple people, but due to being extremely um, overwhelmed, you know, in terms of firepower, you're, I mean, I don't care who you are. I mean, even with my Glock uh, 19, you know, with a spare mag, like I am outgunned if a man comes into my church with, you know, an AR with a 30 round magazine. Uh, I, that's just the nature of it. Now, if you got, you know, one thing that might make a difference, of course, is, you know, if we had 20 people that are armed as opposed to two or three, you know, then you got multiple people with lots of chances. But, but the reality is that's not, not usually what we see. You know, there's not that many people probably carrying typically in a congregation of 60. So, I mean, a handful, maybe. And even then, that's another false uh, uh, belief that I think is propagated all too often is that, that a good guy with a gun, well, a, a guy with a gun is guaranteed like you're it's this automatic uh uh ballistic protection you know device that just because i have my gun like i'm gonna you know i'm safe that's that's fall far from the case that's why we do this podcast is to help educate and, and prepare and hopefully train uh listeners and others to be able to be prepared and trained uh and to realize the reality of it is just, just even though you ha- may have that training and that knowledge it is not a guarantee that you're going to prevail in a situation like this, or any situation for that matter, it incre- increases or improves your chances tr- dramatically, but it is far from a guarantee. And let's not get trapped into thinking that that's the case. Yeah. Um, some some questions that have been coming up that we've been answering from some of you listeners and from others uh, you know, who are readers of our website, et cetera. Uh, people want to know about what, what are the laws about carrying in a church and also some of the st- t- tactics and strategies. And maybe it's a topic for another episode, but just if I can quickly, you know, while this is fresh sure. in people's minds, uh, regarding the laws, we really have one of three situations in this country. I'll start with the worst case scenario, and that would be a state where you know, it's just illegal. You can't have a gun in a place of worship. And there's only one state like that, and it's Louisiana. So for all you in Louisiana, sorry to tell you, it's illegal to take a gun into a place where people worship. I believe Nebraska is also Ah, not boat. the case. We've had that conversation before. I checked on Nebraska uh, this week and, and got confirmation. So currently, it's just, it's just Louisiana. The second situation is a state where um, – Essentially, there is something in the law that says that you can't have a gun in a church unless you have permission from that church leader. From you know, and they word it differently depending on the state. And those states would be Wyoming, North Dakota, Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Michigan, Ohio, Georgia, South Carolina, and D.C. Uh, as of my current you know, research, and and two of those I had to change recent you know in the last couple of days based on um, you know feedback and doing some research. And then the third, and this is definitely the most common situation, is a state uh, where you know, a church is just like any other private property. It's no different than a gas station or a grocery store or whatever else in that whoever owns the property makes the rules. So if the property owner wants to prohibit guns, in theory, they could do that somehow. If they don't, then that that you know leaves it open for anyone to carry. And that's the by majority of the vast number of states. If I haven't already read off your state, you're in that boat. 
Uh, and we can put a link to a, a page on our site that has a map that's really easy to reference. But here, here perhaps would be, you know, so, so most likely, unless you're in Louisiana, you live in a state where either you can just carry or with permission you could carry. And I think that, and this is, I think, Riley, where you're starting to get to, and I, I wanted to just kind of highlight, and that is that the most effective response on an active shooter situation like this is, it, is a response that is organized as opposed to one that is not organized. If I'm in a congregation of 150 people, uh, which is probably about you know attendance at, at my in my congregation every Sunday, if I'm in a, at a group of 150 people and someone walks in with a gun and there are five of us who are totally committed and prepared to to shoot back, if we haven't pre-communicated and, and thought through some of the strategy and you know some of those things, it's going to be crazy. Uh, but if in advance we are organized, if we've talked about tactics, if we've you know even designated some responsibilities and some fail safes and things like that, we're going to be far more effective. And th- th- you know what what should those strategies be is probably outside the scope of this conversation. But I would encourage you if you're like, geez, what do I do? I want to start carrying. If you want to carry, like go for it, totally hundred percent. Just encourage you to do what you need to do to protect you and your loved ones. But I would also encourage you to talk to the leaders in your church and find out if there's an organized team or plan already in place and how you can plug yourself into that because you'll be far more effective in doing so than just being an independent, you know, tough dude. Yeah. And even if you're not part of an official church security team, uh, which, I mean, certainly if, if that opportunity exists, I would encourage anyone that has desires to to do so and to, you know, get some additional training and be uh, a little more prepared. Uh, definitely encourage you to get involved in security teams like that uh, and whatnot. But even if you're not, we should all uh, do do our very best in some small way to be keeping an eye on things, to be watching individuals that come into the church that maybe we're not familiar with, we don't recognize, or, the, or there's something suspicious about them, and then getting information to appropriate authorities uh, about you know uh, suspicious circumstances regarding churches. Th- this this story, by the way, specific, specifically relating to this uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas shooting. It sounds like the suspect initially uh, pulled up. He left his vehicle in the street running and he jumped out and began firing into the church from outside of the building. And then uh, after a a time, he made his way into the building uh, to uh, continue on his uh, uh, his attack. And uh, so, you know, I'm once again, this every situation is unique, but in this circumstance, you have, it sounds like, some advance warning that, hey, someone's shooting into our church, into our building, uh, you know, that would be the opportunity, the prime opportunity to be watching the entrances of the building and taking up a place of cover. And if you were, if you were armed, that's what I would be doing is, uh, you know, at that point, you have a threat, a known threat outside of your building. And I know we could talk about securing your family and, and, and loved ones and things, uh, but at that point... I have an opportunity to hopefully keep that threat outside that building. And my security team, hopefully, is going to take up positions uh, of cover uh, and and watching the entrance of the building. Hopefully, first of all, locking and securing those entrances if possible, and then taking up places of cover, watching for a threat or any suspicious person, and then taking next appropriate steps. I mean, if you were armed and in that church, I'd, you know, you have a little bit of advance warning, find a good place to cover, get that gun out and be, uh, you know, 
be ready to, to uh, deal with that threat. Um, and still, it's not a guarantee you're going to, you know, I mean, this guy was pretty loaded down. He, he had 15 rounds, fully loaded round, 30 round magazines of ammunition. Uh, last night's uh, press conference announced that they found 15 magazines on the premises uh, fully expended. Uh, he, he had an AR-15. He had a nine millimeter Glock on him. Uh, he had some, a couple other weapons as well. Uh, a lot of rounds were fired. Uh, he came ready. He had a tactical, uh, he had tactical gear on, tactical dress, body armor, a tactical, you know, style helmet, a uh, ballistic helmet or something of, of that nature with a, a tinted visor is, is what I heard as well. I mean, he was clearly ready for a fight. And like you said earlier, Jacob, you know, upon, you know, maybe not succeeding in, uh, you know, uh, getting the person he went there to get, maybe he was going somewhere else. Uh, maybe he's going to cause additional harm. And thus these guys are heroes because they likely uh, thwarted that, that effort. So, yeah. <clears throat> so maybe, you know, we need to have a, a bigger conversation about more church stuff in the future. The only other thing I was going to add to the conversation, just kind of a light like consideration for those of you who are in a position of influence is just a concept of physical security. And by physical security, I mean, you know, surveillance camera, uh, reinforced doors, uh, alarm systems, you know, all these little things that might increase our odds of being able to react, you know, faster, having advanced notice, or having a more effective response, because we've done some prep work in advance. So physical security can go a long way, uh, also to, to, you know, protecting the flock. Yeah, absolutely. So I know we, we've just spent a good deal of time talking about this story in this instance, but it, it is relevant. Uh, it is real. And uh, it's, you know, we should do everything we can because of situations like this to learn from them, to prepare ourselves, to train a little bit harder, to take additional steps that maybe we, we haven't taken yet because something's been holding us back. Well, nothing should be holding you back at this point. No place is safe. No place is secure. Get trained. Be prepared. Be ready. Yep. By the way, I've reached out to Mr. Williford and also Mr. Langendorf and invited them to be on our podcast. I have no idea if they're going to take me up on that offer. I would love to have them on if they happen to listen to this. Uh, would love to have them. And because I think what they could tell us uh, would be of value to our listeners of the podcast, uh, hearing the perspective of Mr. Will Williford, especially uh, as he engaged in this gun battle. Um, so anyway, we've got a whole bunch of other stories to still to share in uh, realizing that uh, we may be short on time. Uh, we're going to move through these probably a little bit quicker than we otherwise would. But uh, clearly, I mean, we've got to talk about um those things that are most relevant. And I think this just church shooting was uh, definitely in that category. So, but, but some legislative updates <clears throat> and this one, frankly, Jacob is very frustrating for me to hear about. Um, it is being reported that the share act, which we've, we've reported on before. And this was, this was the act that was working its way through committee and, 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 and you know, we were, we were hoping and waiting for it to, um, you know, go before the House and go before the Senate for a vote. And this is the act that has a whole bunch of like primarily sportsman oriented uh, pieces of legislation inside of it. But it also, you know, w why it was really, uh, you know, getting a lot of attention was because it was proposing that suppressors be de deregulated. Uh, and, you know, from the NFA. 
And this story, that what's being suggested is that in light of the Las Vegas shooting, that they are thinking about dropping the suppressor deregulation uh, part of this legislation, that that is too controversial to take on at this time. And adding into it this bump stock and enhanced, you know, trigger enhancements language that has been proposed elsewhere. Yeah. And uh, that, just, that just disgusts me. It's mind-blowing, frankly. It'd, it'd be one thing if we were saying, hey, you know, we we're trying to create a compromise kind of solution where, hey, if you'll, you know, if we can deregulate these suppressors, then maybe we'll consider, you know, you know prohibiting bump stocks, like, you know, kind of a, you know, tit for tat kind of idea but it's 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 not that at all it's like the extreme opposite it's like let's remove the pro gun legislation and add in some gun control yeah you know like it's crazy so we right <sighs> that's not a compromise at all that's a bend over and take it yeah yeah so you know, this is definitely one of those where you need to write legislatures and representatives and let them know how you feel about um you know the share act and, and, and yes jacob I am I'm extremely upset about this. When you say write our people and let them hear our voices, I really, really mean it. I am sending messages today. I mean, I just I just found I mean this story is a couple of days old. This is from guns.com. I hadn't heard this until now, probably because of all this other crap going on. Uh, but I'm mad and I'm writing them today, letting them hear my voice letting them know how upset I am. They represent us. And this is not, this is not in line with our wishes, the people's wishes. I think if you talk to most people in America uh, and where they stand, this is not in line with where, where the people stand right now. Uh, this whole, you know, we've already covered it in past episodes, but the bump stocks, that's one thing. But when you talk about this language that talks about regulating trigger enhancements, anything that would increase the rate of fire of a gun, well, this could make so many things out there illegal and you have no idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and they talk about, by the way, about how there's all this great stuff in there for sportsmen. Well, guess what? The Second Amendment is not just about sporting, you know, as far as hunting. It's not just about that. It's about what we just covered about this church story, the fact that this man, Stephen Williford, was able to pull his own AR-15 out, and it could have had an enhanced trigger for all we know, for all we care. It could have had a bump stock on it for all we know or all we care. It doesn't really matter. But there's lots of people out there that have that sucker you know, be against the law to possess, and yet he was able to use it to defend life and stop a, a violent attacker. So screw the sportsman's part. I mean, by the way, I, I'm a sportsman. And I love hunting and I love outdoor stuff. And I, I, I think the stuff they have in this bill is really great. But to bend over and say, you know, forget the silencer thing and, you know, let's throw in bump stocks and trigger enhancements. Bull crap. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> okay. Wow, that was strong feelings. Um, okay, so let's let's move on. Because I'm with you, and I think we gotta gotta keep the beat going. So here's a story from CCDL.us, and it is reporting on a Southbury, Connecticut. And essentially, what you have here is a town that is proposing a gun ban uh, on city property and city buildings. And so, you know, the, essentially, what they'll, to make a long story short, they are working on putting this on a ballot and pushing it to a vote, and it's been you know rescheduled a few times and we're going to find out whether or not the town of Southbury, Connecticut 
does or doesn't want guns prohibited in, uh, in, in city buildings. I think it goes beyond city buildings because I read some of the proposed, uh, there's a PDF document that's attached to that article that I read. And I think some of the language, now this is not an official, uh, this is actually a PDF document of a woman who is uh, uh, making public comment. But it, it keep in mind, this is a small town. And the what she seems to be implying, and it, it would not surprise me at all that the, the residents of this town, what they're basically pushing for is to not be able to carry a gun really anywhere in town. Uh, that's I not mean, how I interpret it. But, but yeah, you, you that probably... That may not be how you interpret yeah, it. You I, I, I just... Yeah. I'm just saying that the language I think is pretty vague and I think that it could be construed, you know, taken to a level of where, you know, it, it's, it's almost a de facto ban on guns in town, except for on your, you know, on your own personal property. It's one of those, I know I'm reading. Yeah. It's one of those devil in the details in kinds of things, bit. right? Because, because what it says is prohibit weapons to be brought to public events on town property or to carry weapons inside of town owned buildings. So it, it, it's definitely, well, okay, that's yeah, like town a, property. Right, right, <laughs> right. I mean, but that, that, yeah, it's a little up, a little up for interpretation on that one. We'll see how it gets written out. Right. I mean, I, I read that almost as like, well, the sidewalks, the city sidewalks and streets are considered town property. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, see what sure, sure. where I'm going with this? But uh, uh, by the way, the whole inspiration behind this is they, they reference the uh, Antifa violence in, um, uh, uh, crap! I just the, the town just I just lost it. Brain fart. Um, Charlottesville. There you go. You know, yeah. There you go. They basically say because of that, and because of all the violence that broke out, because of you know in that situation, that we must pass this you know gun ban basically. So anyway, uh, citizens of Southbury, Connecticut, or anywhere in Connecticut or anywhere in the U S for that matter, just know these people are out there trying to take away your rights. Yeah. Yep. Moving on. Chicago bearingarms.com. Yeah. Take this one away. Yeah. I'll make a long story short. I'm sure we'll all be shocked to find this out that there's been a study done, a, a report, a collaboration between Chicago police, the office of the mayor and the university of Chicago crime lab, which of course all of them are very pro gun. I'm being facetious. And the short story is what they found is that most of the guns um, being used in crimes were not obtained uh, th- from a dealer by the person who used the gun in the crime. So for example, uh, gun found in crime, Police determined that Jacob used that gun. Jacob is the criminal. But wait a minute. This gun was not purchased by Jacob at a dealer. It was purchased by Bob. That is what the report is essentially indicating is that the majority of the time, the person who uses the gun of the crime is not the person who bought it from a dealer. And to me, I'm like, shocker. <laughs> you know, that. thank you. Thank you for making one of our points. Um, and, and so they're suggesting that most of the time it's a straw purchase, which is the, the you know what we use to describe a situation where I go to Bob, I say, Bob, I can't buy a gun because I'm a convicted felon or something. So will you please go buy it for me and then I'll buy it from you. And maybe I'll even pay you, you know, a, a finder's fee or a buyer's fee for me. 
to you know for, to you so that you know for your trouble to go get that gun for me. That's the rough gen, you know, general idea of a straw purchase. But you know, it could just be that these guns are also stolen. Could be that you know Jacob stole it from Bob. Uh, it could be a variety of, of, of factors. Could be that it was you know sold in a private transaction legally, depending on you know the state where where the transaction took place. Regardless, I think the main point here is that criminals, when they want a gun, they don't march into a dealer to see if they're going to pass a background check. Yeah. No, that's true. You know, so this story is really fascinating. And some of the d- data here is also very fascinating. Uh, a collaboration between Chicago police, the office of the mayor and the University of Chicago Crime Lab, they found that 10 dealers sold almost a quarter of the guns that were recovered at crime scenes between t- 2013 and 2016. About 60% of guns used in city crimes were traced to dealers outside the state with more than 20% from Indiana. In 95% of cases where the Chicago police were able to identify the possessor of crime gun, that individual was not the original lawful purchaser of the firearm based upon the federal record at the initial point of purchase. So, oh, and then also down a little bit lower, police in Chicago recovered almost 7,000 illegal guns last year, six times the per capita rate in New York and 1.5 times that in Los Angeles. And the, the point being made in the article here is, so criminals are getting their guns through criminal means. After all, straw buys are illegal as it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's interesting. So the actual definition of a straw purchase, Jacob, would be like, Jacob decides he wants a gun and Jacob knows that he can't buy that gun for himself or maybe he's just lazy. And so Jacob hands me $500 and says, Riley, go down to the store there and buy me that new, you know, Gen 5 Glock 19, which might actually cost a little more than $500, but hey, Riley, take this money, go buy this gun for me. That's a straw purchase. Yeah, regardless right? of my my reasoning for doing it, you know, whether my motive was to avoid having to go through a background check or to your point, if my my intent was just to not have to get off my couch, regardless of the, <laughs> of the motive, it's a straw purchase to knowingly buy a gun on, on someone else's behalf. Right. Now, well, see, yeah, we have to be a little bit specific there because are you able to gift a gun? Sure. Yeah. No, if, if, yes. if you want to go down the store and, and, and give me a gen five and give it to me for Christmas, Riley, like, right. You know, I would provide it. I mean, like, and it's assumed that I'm not, I'm that I'm doing that. Um, uh, you know, I'm not knowingly giving it to someone that shouldn't, you know, be able to have it. Right. Sure. It, it would be illegal for me to give a gun to someone that can't legally possess a gun, uh, a known felon, for instance, or whatever. Okay. So, um, But that's the point is like the distinction is that I can go choose to buy a gun and you're a law abiding, you know, you're a decent dude, Jacob. I can go buy a gun and give it to you. Not that I would, but I could. (laughs) Um, But uh, it would be illegal for me to accept money from you to go buy that for you. That is very clear in the law. Um, They're suggesting that because of the data that they have, that these are straw purchases. I would say that while there's some of that probably that is true. Uh, I I think that a lot of these are probably just, you know, I mean, guns that have probably been out there for a while and it's not unusual for, I mean, I could buy a gun from a dealer and then transfer it to a friend who might transfer it to another friend. And and as you might imagine, you go through a couple of iterations, it eventually might end up in the hand of, hands of somebody that it shouldn't. And I'd like to think all my friends wouldn't, you know, transfer guns to uh, folks that shouldn't have them. But uh, like you said, it could be also that it got stolen um, or or whatever, you know. So there's a lot of opportunities there, but there definitely are people out there. I mean, we saw that happen here in Colorado 
with the uh, uh, Evan Ebel case. Uh, that was the uh, kid that got out on uh, uh, parole early, and then he shot the state, you know, uh, corrections uh, chief. Uh, shot a Domino's pizza delivery driver to help him facilitate that other crime. Uh, and the gun he used was literally a straw purchase. So someone that was willing to to buy that for him at a dealer. And that, so that kind of crap does happen. And guess what? There's laws that prohibit it and laws that can be enforced and should be enforced. And I hope they're being enforced. But sometimes things slip through the cracks, you know. We, we, but we got to crack down. We can't let this, you know, just to... You know, they, they they know obviously that 10 dealers in Chicago have a, apparently, apparently a potential issue there with some straw buyers. I, I'm, you know, I, I hope they, the ATF is scrutinizing those records and looking for some patterns and finding some people that they suspect are doing straw purchases and going and locking those people away for a long time. You get enough of those people off the, off the streets and you can probably make a little bit of a dent in these straw purchases. Yeah. Yep. So next one, New York Dems push gun control after truck attack. This is ironic. <laughs> this is a doozy, you know, because uh, this truck attack, obviously, I mean, it tra- another tragic incident that happened recently. This was just, you know, in the last week or so. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because we, we kind of hear these jokes, right, Jacob, where, um, you know, you you have a, a, a gun attack, like say Las Vegas, and immediately people call for gun control. And so the joke is, you know, you have a terrorist attack, which is what this was, uh, where a man, uh, where the terrorist uses a truck. And the joke would be, well, should we, you know, outlaw trucks? Right? That's the joke. Um, but but the funny thing is, is that that's not even where this is going. This is going down the, well, they used a truck in a terrorist attack, but you know what? We need gun control. <laughs> and the way he makes, so this is a, uh, uh, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, he says this, there's a much bigger conversation we could have about gun safety when he was asked about the truck attack. So he just totally does the, you know, the whole politician, you know, uh, dodging the question and just says, forget about terrorists and forget about trucks. There's a much bigger, more important issue here about, and that's about gun safety. He just sticks to the party line on that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love the, I'll just read this paragraph and that might do it for me. Uh, From the article, it says, a Muslim extremist bent on hatred of the West plowed his pickup truck into a group of pedestrians in Manhattan. So naturally, New York's leading politicians reacted by calling for more restrictive gun laws. Brilliant. Brilliant. And it, you know, it goes on to talk about how much they love their safe act and their gun control and how they have some of the tightest, toughest gun laws in the country. And apparently they want more of that. So yeah, shocker, you know, I'm ready to move on. You know, the interesting thing is they praise their SAFE Act and they say this is the some of the smartest gun laws in the country. There you go. That That's what the other side is saying, folks. You know, they, they, they may say, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're all for common sense gun control, common sense gun safety laws. But the SAFE Act, is that common sense, Jacob? Uh, not, uh, if so, I'm an idiot. The, the SAFE Act is crazy. It goes so far and beyond what I think most people would ever, you know, consider common sense. And they praise that. They come right out in your face. They say, those are some of the smartest gun laws in the country. In other words, this is what the the, the gun grabbers really want. They, they want laws like what New York has. And they want laws like what Australia has and what, you know, what England has. Uh, yeah, don't, don't get fooled into thinking that 
that they don't want basically outright confiscation and uh, making illegal all kinds of guns that currently we as free Americans are able to enjoy and also use in lawful self-defense. So there you go. The SAFE Act is smart gun law, according to them. I think not. All right. So a week or so ago, Jacob, uh, we had this uh, shooting in Thornton, Colorado. And Thornton's kind of to the east of where you live and north and east from where I live. Uh, here in the Denver kind of metro area, and for those that don't know. And so this was the the shooting that took place at a Walmart in Thornton. And uh, in that shooting, there were initially two that were deceased on the scene and a third that was uh, severely wounded, and she was transported to the hospital where she died. So three three people shot and killed uh, by a gunman uh, who was just arraigned, I believe, yesterday, Scott Ostrom. And uh, he was, you know, they didn't catch him until the next morning, which actually was pretty quick work, I would say. But some of what's at the focus of this article is how uh, it took five hours for the police to ID the suspect and and to get the, the word out to the public. And Denver Post, which I would say is not always the most gun-friendly public. <laughs> no, they're not a gun-friendly they're publication not. necessarily. <laughs> right? Uh, their whole point is that panicked people Shoppers drawing guns, creating chaos, delayed investigation into Thornton Walmart shooting. And so what does the the Denver Post choose to focus on? How the investigation was delayed. And I think what they imply is that for a time, for a few hours, the public was at risk because we have such lax gun laws that people could actually carry guns into that Walmart with them and actually draw them in potential defense of their lives. Yeah. So a couple, a couple important things to note here and you, you know, everyone will kind of come to some of their own conclusions, but first and foremost, I think that I'm so proud of Colorado that we had a bunch of people in that Walmart that were armed. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, circumstances being what they were, they, they were not in the right place at the right time. Uh, or maybe, you know, depending on how we want to think of it, it wouldn't have mattered. But but regardless, you know, how, how awesome is that, that, that we are in a place where, you know, if it had been a different victim in a different part of the store, um, maybe wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had three dead. It's hard, hard to say all those things, right? But to that, I say amazing and awesome. My, my second thought, though, would be that to some degree and some, some element of what the Denver Post is saying is true. And you can send me hate mail if you, if you disagree. But there is some reality to that. I mean, there's no question in my mind, it's an absolute reality that there were, you know, there was a period of time there where law enforcement was combing through security footage. And if you combing through security footage and you see someone with a gun on that footage, and then you have to kind of follow that person through the store to see where it ends up with them. Um, and, you know, that, that is going to consume a certain amount of time. Now, how long should it take? And did it really delay them hours? I don't know. That could be a bunch of BS. But... Uh, does that slow down law enforcement's investigation to some degree? Yeah, I suppose it does, uh, frankly. So so I think there's some lessons to be learned about how should you react if you are in a Walmart, uh, if you're in a gas station, if you're in a who knows what, um, a church, and you hear the pop, 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 and you have to decide what to do in that moment, and you're armed. And I think that that's where this conversation needs to go. Let's be a little bit constructive because there is some truth that perhaps that did to some degree. Uh, delay law enforcement in ascertaining who the suspect was and where they went. Right. So 
he, I agree with you, by the way. I think that there probably was some delay due to the fact that as they're reviewing footage, they see a bunch of people in the store suddenly with guns in their hands. And I say, bravo. Congratulations, folks. I mean, like, you were in a scary situation where a man posed a threat to the general public. I mean, we still don't exactly know why he did what he did. These were random people. None of them really knew each other. Nobody apparently knew the gunman. It was just a random attack. So as far as I'm concerned, every patron of this store is a potential victim. And it it is also reported that he fired at other people in the store. These are just the three that he hit, right? So bravo to those that were actually carrying, you know, every day and carrying that day in that store and may have had to use their guns in defense and may have may have prevailed had they had that opportunity. Uh, you know, maybe the, you said maybe they weren't in the right place, but maybe they actually were in the right place. They were fortunate that they didn't have to, uh, you know, uh, you know, be put in that position. But uh, these three, unfortunately, the victims were unfortunate in as far as where they were located. And because perhaps, now we don't know, but perhaps they were not armed and perhaps they were not able to defend themselves. And they, you know, in some cases, they probably didn't even see it coming. And that's, uh, that's something that's always difficult to, uh, foresee, but but here's the thing. I, I I'm not entirely convinced that I buy the story that is told here, the narrative that it took five hours for police before they released anything to to say, uh, you know, to to suggest that all these other citizens in the store drawing guns complicated their efforts and loc- you know, in identifying who was the shooter. I think very early on, as they reviewed footage, they could identify. I mean, like, come on, look at. Look at how many cameras are in a Walmart store for crying out loud. There's tons of cameras. There's probably a, over a hundred cameras in Walmarts. They would know exactly where the, where the incident took place. They'd be able to pull those cameras footage, look at it, and go, that guy's got holding a gun and that muzzle flashed. And that person just got shot and found and fell down. All right. Yes. They probably were a little bit hampered by seeing, Oh, there's another guy over here with a gun, another guy over there with a gun. But it, I think, I, I just don't. I, I just don't think I buy this narrative that they were delayed five hours before they could release anything. I think they wanted to make sure that they knew who that guy was, or they had a good quality photo. And they, by the way, when they released it, they released his photo with his vehicle. They had good uh, surveillance uh, video, you know, uh, screenshots of his vehicle. I think they were trying to make sure they could release the best information possible, and they believed the general public were not at risk any further that, that, that the incident was over, uh, that the man escaped, they were going to track him down. And of course we did and we succeeded. Uh, but you know, this whole drawing us line that, you know, there was some sort of negative, uh, uh, consequence to citizen armed citizens drawing their guns and it causing problems for an investigation. I don't buy that at all. No. So and, and if that is a problem, then, you know, let's step up it's, our it's, law enforcement, it, right? Well, well, and it's a, it, by the way, if it is a problem, it's a risk I'm willing to accept, you sure. know, you know, cause yeah, anyway. But we could do our part. And so I'm, I'm glad you addressed some of those, you know, well, how or what exactly, you know, as a way you could mitigate or minimize the potential effect it would have negatively on law enforcement. Sure. Sure. Let's get to our first justified story. Arkansas, Marion, Arkansas. And an elderly Arkansas woman shot an, a home intruder Sunday morning, this says. This is fox6now.com. She killed a, a 19-year-old man. The ATD, 
ADT alarm company received a burglar alarm call at the woman's house at 3.31 a.m. Sunday, according to the Crittenden County Sheriff's Department. The alarm company made contact with the homeowner, who is in her, get this, late 80s and lives by herself. They then called officers in Marion and Crittenden County who responded. The woman told authorities she called out to the intruder who forcefully entered the home and ordered him to leave her home. She said he advanced toward her and that's when she shot him in self-defense. Boy, if we just stop right there, I mean, this sounds like a pretty clear-cut case, right? It, it, it sounds that way, right? But there's a lot more to this. I mean, the the the, the criminal, I guess I'd call it, uh, who is dead. Um, suspect. The suspect. Yes, the alleged criminal <laughs> uh, who who has been killed, Mr. Smith. That, that's really his name, Mr. Smith. I'm not just you know picking around. Anyway, Cody. Yes, Cody Smith. Marion, he is said that at first it was told that he thought he was walking into his home. He was apparently was under the influence. He had wrecked his car, and he he might have thought that this was his own home. Um, you know, confused or not, at the end of the day, you know, you're that wasn't his home. And, and so, as far as the legal perspective of the thing, and and frankly, who's if let's say he did think it was his home, and now you got he sees some un, un uh, uh, you know other other adult he thinks is in his home, and it's like oh my gosh, you know I. What do I do? You know, someone else in my, I mean, he, he might've been very aggressively approaching this, this woman. And so anyway, who's, who's to say what would have happened otherwise? Yeah. So like I said, though, it's still a pretty clear cut case. I mean, it doesn't matter what this man's intent was or what he was actually up to. Uh, What matters is that he broke into her home. She warned him, told him to go away, to get out and he then advanced toward her, right? So, I mean, there and there was, you know, uh, 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 who's this Rimmer? Uh, the neighbor, John Rimmer is a neighbor. And he says here, it's still sad that a man that age, a young man just starting his life for whatever reason is taking those kinds of steps and ends up losing his life for it. Yeah, it is sad. I agree. But you have a late, 80s, you know, an uh, 86, 87, 88, 89 year old grandmother uh, who has no idea who this man is. And all she knows is he won't leave and that he is coming toward her. And she is an at risk person for sure due to her age. Clear cut case. And I, I, you know, it is sad. And regardless of, like I said, this man's intent, I applaud her for taking her own personal defense into her own hands and being able to do so. Um, she was that's prepared. a it's a rough situation and a sad story uh, for everybody involved, but that's what self-defense uh, and defensive gun use is all about. And in this case, it was, it was uh, well done on her part, I think. Otherwise, you know, it might be another one of those stories that uh, gets passed over and we would never, it would never come to our attention, meaning that, you know, maybe he was there to do her harm and she's dead. And the new story reads, elderly woman dead after a home invasion. Essex County, New Jersey. Pair pulled guns on off-duty cop before he killed them, authorities say. This is on NJ.com. Newark, New Jersey. Authorities say the off-duty New Jersey City, City police officer who shot and killed two men Sunday night was in Newark with a friend when the duo attempted to rob him at gunpoint. This is interesting right here, Jacob. He's, a couple little details here. At about 11.30 p.m., The officer was in the 100 block of South 6th Street in Newark, dropping off an acquaintance and two children. 
when he was approached by the two armed men. This is according to the prosecutor. One of the men apparently tried to shoot at the officer, but his gun jammed, the prosecutor's office said. The officer then shot both men, identified as Dante Holden, 19, of uh, and... Timmer Wilson, 21, both of East Orange, and both were pronounced dead at the scene. Well, he definitely made his shots count, didn't he? Officials declined to identify the officer involved. What do you, what do you make of this one, Jacob? Ah, oh, man, I wonder how Newark, New Jersey feels about this. Um, you know, and I don't know all the laws. I mean, what we know is that New Jersey is a place that relatively so is not, is not very pro gun rights, but this is, this is an officer. He's off duty. And, uh, you know, he, frankly, he might've been lucky. I, I love this part where it says one of the men, and this is talking about the criminals or excuse me, the alleged criminals apparently tried to shoot at the officer, but his gun jammed. So, you know, thank goodness that most criminals aren't phenomenal gun handlers, you know, who who clean and maintain their guns well and get lots of good training uh, because this, this could have ended very differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is a, uh, this is why so many law enforcement officers um, take their personal safety uh, to heart. I mean, because situations like this happen all the time and, you know, these two robbers, uh, apparent robbers uh, may, may not have even known this guy was a cop. But uh, situations happen all the time where officers are targeted. Uh, it could be someone they, they arrested and put away for a time that then gets out and tracks them down and makes them a target. But the point is, this guy was obviously, uh, he, he took his personal security seriously. He was ready. Uh, I mean, he, we talk about, you know, not necessarily drawing on a drawn gun. <laughs> uh, these guys approached him. They were obviously armed, yet somehow he still managed to draw and address them and shoot them and, and kill them both. Uh, like I said, they were both deceased on the scene. Scary situation. And like I said, I, I, I thought it was interesting that some of the details were that he was dropping off an acquaintance and two children. So we had children involved here. We had another person involved, another adult and uh, that's that's a scary situation, but uh, good good on him for being ready and prepared to defend uh, him and the lives of innocents. Indeed, final final story from NBCMiami.com: Fatal Davy uh, CVS shooting was Craigslist transaction gone wrong. Uh, all over an iPhone. Well, I mean, the shooting may not have been over the iPhone, but um, yeah. So here you have a, Cra- a Craigslist transaction for an iPhone. And this is at a CVS on University Drive near Griffin Road. For those of you who live somewhere near them, there, maybe that makes sense. So you have two individuals here. You have Smith, who was selling his phone, and he met Barry in the parking lot to get this done. But after the money was exchanged, which you know clearly they both intended to do this transaction, there was an argument as Barry claimed Smith and his friend were trying to take off with the phone and the cash. So I kind of can see this in my head, right? It's like, all right, you give me the money and I'll give you the phone. Like, okay, I got the I, I got the money now and I'm, I'm holding on to the money and I still have the phone in my hand and I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to go and maybe I'm teasing, maybe I'm not. But you know, you're, you're, you know, the other person's maybe feeling a little uncomfortable, uh, feeling maybe like they're getting you know, robbed. And so what happens? Barry run, runs into the CVS uh, and frantically tells employees to call 911. You know, he's He's being robbed. You know, this guy's taking his cash and his and the phone. And uh, according to police, Barry indicated to Smith that his friend and his friend that he had a concealed weapon permit. He was carrying a weapon. 
And Smith and his friend replied, they also had a weapon. So this is escalating, right? This probably started out as something simple. And then it was like, no, not simple anymore. Then we're telling people to call 911. And now it's like, hey, I got a gun. No, so do I. I got a gun. And you know, th- then they start to pursue each other around. You know, they're running around in front of the store doing all these kinds of things. And then, and then it starts turning into blows. They're pushing each other physically so. And then one of them retrieves a gun and fires several rounds. Uh, Barry is strike, you know, sh- shooting the gun and, and striking Smith. So Smith died. I mean, this this game is over, and it's one of those stories where I think we see how how things can escalate so far out of out of you know proportion. How it can just really you know go go from something so small to shots fired. Right, and as concealed carriers, we need to be mindful of escalation because I think it's prudent and and proper for us to uh, as much as possible try to de-escalate situations. As I read this story, I don't see that uh, Mr. Barry, that was his name, right? The the good guy in this story, apparently, Matthew Barry. I don't see that he is escalating the situation. In fact, what I thought was really good about this story, Jacob, is that I think he actually made took some really good steps to try to, to de-escalate and to try to get out of the situation. He ran away and he ran into the store. He told the clerk, call the police, I'm being robbed uh, or whatever, right? These guys pursued him. And yeah. so they continued to pursue the uh, altercation, whereas he was trying to get away. And then they were chasing him through the store all around, it said. What did it say? The, around the, displays the, in front of the store. Exactly. Around different displays. So they were chasing him around, at which point he thinks, okay, if I tell them I've got a gun, like he didn't even go, to, I mean, and I think, by the way, this was kind of a smart move on his part uh, because he didn't just go right away to the gun, you know, because he didn't see probably, a, I suppose, a reason, a just a, a good enough, you know, justified reason to draw that gun on them. But he thought, look, they are trying to harm me. They're trying to rob me. Uh, I'm trying to get away and they're not giving up that pursuit. Even after I have even even after there's other uh, people in the store seeing this, witnessing it. And the cops are being called. And so he's, then he finally says, what? I have a permit and I, I am carrying. I am armed. I have a gun. To which they reply, we have a gun too. Or we have a weapon too. And see, so the criminals in this case keep escalating the matter. He is doing everything he can to, I think, very smartly de-escalate or at least try to uh, dissuade them from continuing their course of action. And they do not. And so I, I'm, I love this story. I'm fascinated by this story because I think Mr. Barry, uh, I, and granted, we don't have a lot of details about the specific transaction and what led to this, but once that, uh, once the transaction ends and it becomes, it turns essentially into some sort of robbery and a chasing, uh, I think he's very smart in how he uh, approached the situation. Sure. Yeah, I, I agree with you like at that point. I, I also think that, some different decisions could have prevented the situation from happening at all. I think if we had been in a situation where we said, okay, this guy's got the cash and the iPhone, maybe I should just let it go. Maybe I say, hey, I, you know, am I, am I going to run in the store and call 911 and yell at you and tell you I got a gun, you know, all because, you know, you're, I, I, you're trying to make off with my phone and the cash. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you know, I've never been there. Right. So I hate to, to try and just call someone's actions, you know, foolish, but I think there is a lesson there to be learned about how we try and de-escalate um, situations instead of escalate them. So yeah, usually in these kinds of situations, at the point where the gun is, comes out, it's probably justified in coming out. 
but some different decisions earlier on may have prevented us from getting there. See, I don't know that I agree with. I mean, Grant. I mean, I think that there's not enough details here. And by the way, it was Smith, the supposed bad guy, that was selling the phone, and Barry who came to buy it and was and had the cash. And so, I, the, I don't know. Like I said, there, there, we don't know enough about the actual transaction, but I do see it as him trying to get out of the situation. I mean, I think what you're saying is, well, maybe he could have just let it go, you know. Uh, all right, you know, because I because I'm afraid it might escalate into some something that I'm just going to say. All right, take the money, get out of here, take your mo- take your phone and take my money. I'm just going to let it go because I'm afraid to escalate. Um, well, that's a fair point, but we don't always know. Like we can't. I mean, imagine I'm imagining myself in the same situation, Jacob. And if I'm meeting a guy that's trying to sell me a phone, and I'm hand, you know maybe I hand him that cash, or maybe I'm, you know. Hey, I've done a lot of Craigslist transactions, and you know what happens? I hand him the cash, and then all of a sudden he starts taking off the you know he doesn't give me the phone or whatever, right? You know, like I'd be pretty dang ticked off, and I wouldn't necessarily be thinking that you know in the next moment it's going to escalate to a point of violence and and death. Um, other than hey, this guy just took my 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 money, and you know, and really what this guy did is he ran into the store and they chased after him. So I don't know. There, there's just. There's some details here we don't have that would probably be helpful, but I, I hear your point too. All, all good thoughts. Yeah, I mean yeah. those are all those are all good considerations for for any of us to think about. So that wraps up our stories for today. Uh, lots of uh, interesting justified stories, I would say. Lots of really key legislative updates uh, regarding the Share Act, uh, local laws in Connecticut uh, with this uh, little town there. Uh, New York Democrats calling for gun control after this truck attack. And then, of course, this tragic story out of Texas where we had this massacre. Uh, I hope you enjoyed these stories in this news today and also analysis of, of these situations. Today's episode was brought to you by Guardian Nation. We just got done a week or two. Well, yeah, it was last week, wasn't it? The the gun giveaway. Halloween. Yeah, that was awesome. Uh, in fact, a guy from uh, Connecticut, a Guardian Nation member from Connecticut, won the gun we gave away. Yep, Lawrence. Yeah, so congrats to Lawrence in Connecticut uh, for winning that gun. Uh, folks, if you're not already members of Guardian Nation, uh, or maybe you were, but you just didn't happen to win the gun, but either way, uh, we hope that if you're that you will stay members of Guardian Nation if you're already a member, but also if you haven't considered joining, you might consider because we do do uh, giveaways from time to time. Uh, we've given away a couple of guns this year. Uh, we have great benefits for members, including access to our uh, we have a, a video library of all kinds of training videos that you can check out, access to Guardian Nation live broadcasts, 10% off everything sold in our online store. Plus, we're getting ready to ship a box this month to all members that qualify. It's a little bit late to uh, be considered one of those qualifying members if you haven't joined already, uh, but we will ship another box in February, and now is the time to join. If you don't join this month on, on a monthly basis, uh, then you would have to join quarterly or annually to qualify for the next February box. So uh, why why delay? Why wait? Join Guardian Nation now and be part well, of I'll tell you, the best tribe out there. A, t- a timely reason to join is our Black Friday sale, which is coming up. Today I finalized the list of all the products that will be in the Black Friday sale, and there's some really good stuff at some pretty deep discounts. So you know, like many, we do a Black Friday sale, but different from most, it is not available to the public. 
Can in order to shop our Black Friday sale, you must be a member of Guardian Nation. Can you tease like one thing, not necessarily price, but just like maybe one thing that'll be in that? How sale? about AR fifteen custom lowers for forty bucks? Oh well, you just gave it all away, didn't you? <laughs> there's there's one for you. That's pretty cool. So custom AR fifteen lowers for forty dollars. Yes. Wow. Okay, folks, that's just one thing in our Black Friday sale that is only available to Guardian Nation members. So join Guardian Nation today at guardiannation.com and have access to not only all the other cool stuff I talked about, but exclusive sales, including our Black Friday one coming up here in just a few weeks. Today's other sponsor is Sports Afield, and I hope that you will consider how you store your guns and consider doing it in a quality, safe, or handgun storage vault from Sports Afield. Purchases uh, also receive a free one-year subscription to the Sports Afield magazine, which I think is really awesome. But not only that, you get a really cool safe, a really great safe. And I'll tell you, they're little handgun vaults. I just, uh, I just think they're great. Uh, I use them every day to store responsibly my firearms when I need to, but still have quick access to them so they can be used quickly in an emergency. Uh, for those few times that they're not on my person. So Yeah, and I'll I'll throw in there. I got a, a really cool uh kind of smaller rifle safe from Sports of Field that I love. It's I think the model number is 5516AR and it's a tactical rifle safe. And what I love about it is it's only 200 pounds, which means that I don't need to hire a moving company to come move it around the house, but it's still big enough to hold four or five rifles, a couple handguns and a lot of ammo, and it's it's a great safe, very reasonably priced, so there's a couple thoughts. Yeah. Awesome. Check out the full lineup of Sports Afield safes at concealedcarry.com forward slash sports afield. S-P-O-R-T-S-A-F-I-E-L-D. And keep in mind, Guardian Nation members save 10% off those. So anyway, there you have it. Uh, our next episode, by the way, we'll be talking about CCWers whose guns were taken away from them and in a few cases used against them Listen in to find out how you might be able to prevent it from happening to you. Really good content there. So we look forward to bringing that to you in our next episode, episode 172. That should come out tomorrow. We'll get that recorded as soon as we can uh, today. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow morning. I don't know. We'll get it done and it'll, it'll come out. It'll go live tomorrow. So with that, we're going to bid you all farewell. We would encourage you to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care, everyone. reminder that laws vary from place to place and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws the concealed carry podcast concealed carry inc concealed and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm related incidents and laws but things could be different where you live or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this we cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast